I've been truly challenged uh, lately about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, or what we have in Christ. doesn't matter how we say it. It's just one of those things that I've really been challenged about. How much do we know? Do we really know what Christ has done for us? It's easy for us to say, yes, he died for me. And he, he is the one who made it possible for me to be saved, to be born again, the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell us. But do we really know and understand who Christ is for us and what he has accomplished for us? And I believe that uh, Ephesians chapter 1, specifically from verse 3 to verse 14, gives us a good idea of, um, of what we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's just absolutely amazing if we read through it. It's also one of those difficult passages of Scripture because from uh, verse, I think it's from verse 1 to verse, no, it's from verse 3 to verse 14, it's one sentence. Just one sentence, right through. So the one thing just connects to the other. It's a, it's a long one-sentence part. I think it's the longest sentence in the Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And I believe that if we understand as believers, if we really truly understand what we have in Christ or who we are in Christ, I think Christianity will look completely different to what we see today. I think that we would see a change or a difference in preaching because the focus will be on who Christ really is especially in the way that he has been revealed to us in Scripture and what he has done for us. I think there will be a, cha a, a change in the way of, of our worship because it will be Christ-centered. And there would be a change in the way that we relate to one another. All things that are important in Christianity because if we understand who Christ is and what Christ has done for my fellow brother and sister as he has done it for me, I will have much more love for my fellow brother and sister. And that love would be visible and it would be a sacrificial love. No? And that's the amazing thing. They will, I, I really do believe that Christianity will be a force to be reckoned with in the world. Unfortunately, even evangelical Christianity has become very secular, very worldly, nominal. This is if we just go through the motions, instead of having a, a living relationship with the living Christ, understand what the living Christ has done for us, and then live from that reality. Because Christ has done amazing things for us. And it's so easy to forget what it is. No, it's unfortunate that some believers do not know uh, what we have in Christ. And therefore, when they live, it is as if Christ is on the fringe of their of the walk with God. Uh, you would have noticed that for this year, uh, my focus is very strongly on the person of Jesus Christ, on uh, having knowledge about him, but also understanding our salvation. Now, what we want, I would like to do this morning is to take a few moments or a few minutes to look at some of the things that believers need to know about what we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, as revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. All right, before we continue, let's just bow our, words, uh, our heads in a word of prayer. Father, what a privilege to open up your word. And even when it comes to a passage like this one in Ephesians, where even Peter said that the things that Paul wrote is difficult to understand. And I believe one, one of those passages of Scripture is this one. I pray, Father, that you will open up our hearts to receive your word, our minds to understand your word, and enable me as your servant to teach your word. So that you may be glorified and we may be edified, Father. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, the first thing that we see that believers basically need to know 
that what we have in Christ is what Paul calls every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus is ours. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now I can actually preach a whole sermon just on that verse. Because it's so full. There's so much that's in there. But unfortunately today I'm just going to do a summary on the things that we find in these verses. I want us to listen very carefully to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we've already received the blessing. Can you see that? We can't work for it. It doesn't depend on anything that we do or things that we have done. It simply says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are blessed. We have it already. And we receive it by faith, obviously. Now. Faith in Christ. Because I have faith in Christ, it becomes mine. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is ours. Absolutely amazing. Now, it doesn't say, and I want you to just kind of look at the opposite. It doesn't say that we are blessed with expensive homes, luxury cars, designer clothes, nah, all these earthly possessions. That's not what the text is telling us. That's what the prosperity gospel tries to get us to believe. But that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not every earthly blessing. Now, beloved, it's very easy to look at our earthly possessions or our earthly circumstances and then try to determine whether we are blessed or not because that's kind of the, the measuring tape that we use. Am I blessed or am I not blessed? If our situation, our earthly situation is good, then normally we would think, wow, okay, no, I think we are blessed with, by God. No? Because things are going well. Uh, God has given me a lot of things. So I must be blessed by God. And if our earthly situation is not good, that's normally when people think, oh, I'm being punished by God. Or I'm being cursed by God. You know, I'm under a curse or something like that. Or I'm being attacked by the devil. Beloved, we know, according to Scripture, that there are times when God will allow us to go through tough times. It's inevitable. It's part of life. And the reason why we go through these tough times, we've said it over and over again, is God is testing us. And it's not testing us because he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. God knows what the outcome is going to be. He test, he's testing us for ourselves so that we can see how mature we are, so that we can see how patient we are, so that we can see that we are standing the test of time. And obviously what God does through these tough times that we go through is he changes our character. He changes our character into the character of Christ. Because that's what God wants. God wants us to be Christ-like. No? Our conduct, our attitudes, our motives should be Christ-like. That's why there's such an emphasis in the Bible on Jesus Christ. Not just His salvation that He brings, but also on the person of Christ. So we can get to know Jesus Christ, so we can follow in His footsteps. And as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ still stays the ultimate example for us to follow. Absolutely the greatest example for anyone ever to follow. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Paul tells us that every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies are already ours. We receive it. The moment God regenerates us, the moment we are born again, 
every spiritual blessing that God is going to give or God decided to give to his children is ours. We receive it by faith. It is ours. Obviously, it's not ours in the sense of we have grabbed onto it, that we have it. It's one of those, we have it, but we don't have it yet. Right? So, all the spiritual blessings are ours. It's yes and amen, but we're still going to have it. In its fullness, when we are with Christ forever and ever. And these spiritual blessings is something that we received as a gift from God through Christ and what he accomplished on our behalf. Absolutely amazing. Now the question is, what are these spiritual blessings? One commentary says, it refers to every possible blessing for time and eternity which the Spirit bestows on us. Every possible blessing. Which means every single blessing that God has decided to give to his people. That's what Paul is speaking about here. As God's people, as God's children, as people who belong to Christ, as saints, we already have God's blessing. Heavenly blessing. Or spiritual blessing. John MacArthur said in his commentary, he says... In his providential grace, God has already given believers total blessing. And then he goes on to say that spiritual does not refer to immaterial blessing as opposed to material ones, but rather to the work of God who is the divine and spiritual source of all blessing, which means whatever blessing God decided to give to his people, we have them. We have it. We've received it. It's ours, by faith in Christ. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Just think about it for a moment. If people stop thinking negatively and they start thinking, but I've already received all the blessing that God wants to give me, I've received it, and and whenever God is going to allow something in my life, it's part of that blessing. I might not understand why I'm getting what I'm, or, or I'm going through what I'm going through. But the ultimate is, I will be blessed. Even through tough times, I will be blessed. All things will work together for good for those who love Him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, And you are complete in Him. You hear those words? You are complete in Christ Jesus. It is a done fact. And God will make sure that it stays that way until the day you enter into heaven, into the presence of the Almighty God. You are complete in Him. And He says, who is the head of all principality and power. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Basically, what Peter is telling us, he says that the divine power of the Almighty God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Whatever I need to be able to live, and whatever I need to be able to live a godly life, I've received it. I need to live from it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because this is important. I can either live from the flesh, or I can live from this reality that God has already given me all the blessings, the spiritual blessings, and that His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the reason why we can... why, why Peter can say that. The reason why Paul can say that is because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to live the kind of life that is pleasing to God. Without the Spirit, it's not possible. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells within us. So, beloved, Paul clearly says, and I'm not going into detail As I said, I can preach a whole sermon just on the one verse. 
Each one of these verses is a sermon in itself. So what we can say to one another in accordance to what Paul is telling us is that we already have every spiritual blessing through Christ. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. Not apart from him. Because of him. Okay? Because of him, I have all the spiritual blessings through him. The second thing that we as believers need to know about what we have in Christ is that God chose us. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Now, the thing that you need to see here is that God chose us. We did not choose him. Okay? God chose us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. But God is the one who chooses us. We do not choose God. The fact that we are saved is not a coincidence. The fact that we are alive is not an accident. Uh, maybe our parents um, didn't plan us, but God did. And we see it in this verse. We didn't plan Salumi, by, for example. She was a surprise. A big, big surprise. But God knew. We didn't, but God did. So, she's such a big blessing because she comes from the Lord. But our other two children also come from the Lord. So, they're also blessings. Yeah? That's the amazing thing. Beloved, the fact that we are alive is because of God's will. It's so easy to, to, to look at the world and look at Christianity and look at everything around us and, and look at it from a human perspective. Say so it's natural for a man and a woman to come together and a child will be born. It's natural. But who's the giver of life? It is God. God in his mercy. God in his grace. God giving a blessing. And that's why children are born into this world. So listen carefully what Paul is saying to us here. What he's telling us. He says, just as God, and I want you to, to see this. We connect it to verse 3. He says, just as God blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, likewise... Just as he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, so God chose us before the foundation of this world. In the same way, it's accordance to his will. It's in accordance to what he wants. It's not in accordance to what we want and what we think. It's in accordance to what God wants. We've got nothing to do with what God is doing here. So the question is, when did God choose us? It says, before the world was created, before Adam and Eve were created, before anything that we can see or smell or taste or touch or hear was created, God already chose us. And I know there are people that has many troubles with this. Because it's as if they want to say, no, 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 no. No, that's not in God's hands. Choosing God is my thing. I am the one who chooses God. I am the one who comes to God and asks Him to save me. I am the one who comes to salvation or comes to faith in Jesus Christ. I am the one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. When in fact, before the foundation of the earth, before the earth was created, God already chose us in Christ. And it's not just in his foreknowledge. It's not just in the fact that God knew who was going to come to salvation. No, choose means to choose. You know what it means now. You have different things in front of you, and then you choose which one you want. 
That's what it means to choose. Likewise, before the foundation of the earth, God was the one who chose or chose. And how? Why? How can he do that? Very simple. He is God. And because he is God, he can do whatever he wants, whatever pleases him. And he always does it in accordance to his will. Always in accordance to his will. And why did God chose us? What does Paul say? He says he chose us so that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God didn't choose a group of people so that they can just roam around the earth until one day when they decide to follow Christ. No, no, no. God chose people so that they can be holy, separated from this world, live to the glory of God without blame, to love Him. And that love becomes visible as they live in this world. That's why God chose us. You see, the reason why God chose us before creation is to make us morally pure, upright, blameless in heart and life, virtuous, and separated unto Him and Him alone. There are people that have been chosen just like the Levites in the Old Testament, chosen by God to be holy, to live a holy life, to live a pure life, morally pure, an upright life, a blameless life. And God is the one who saves those people and enables them to live this kind of life that God expects from them. And that's why God chose them. There's no place for a nominal Christian in Christianity, by the way. No place. When God chose you before the foundation of the earth, God chose you so that you can become everything that He expects you to be. And He will enable you to become everything that He expects you to be. In short, God chose us to look like Jesus Christ. That's why God chose us. Is the recording still going on? So I can continue for now, all right. The third thing that we as believers should know about what we have in Christ is that God predestined us to adoption as sons. Look at verse 5. He says, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Beloved, God determined long beforehand that he would adopt us as his children. It wasn't an afterthought of God. It was God's only plan. And that plan was made before the foundation of the earth. That decision was made within the Godhead before God created anything. You see, God determined long beforehand that he would adopt us as his children. And we have nothing to do with God's decision to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And likewise, we have nothing to do with God determining beforehand that we would be adopted as his children. And, and by the way, don't look at adoption the way adoption works today. We must look at adoption the way it works in the Bible. No. When you are adopted into God's family, it means that you are truly child. And the full inheritance of the children becomes your inheritance. That's why we have such a great inheritance in Christ as the firstborn, the unique, one-of-a-kind child of God, not son of God. Absolutely amazing. And we do not have anything to do now with God's determination of what he is going to do. God does it 
according to the good pleasure of his will. It's what God decided. What God decides will happen. God decides, God determines, he does ever he does whatever he wants according to his will and not ours. This is amazing, beloved. Absolutely amazing. Whenever I read these kind of things, and I see how in control God is, that God has never lost control, that God is so precise in what he does, God just becomes greater and greater in my mind. I, I, I stand in awe of who God is and what he has done. And sometimes we struggle to accept what, what we read. But wow, beloved, that's what God has done for us in Christ. It's a gift. A gift that God, the Almighty God, gives to those children that he adopts as his own. And it's done in accordance to his will. In accordance to what he wants what he desires, and what he decides. Right, this brings us to the fourth thing that we as believers should know about what we have in Christ, and that is that God redeemed us. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians 1. It says, In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. See those words? Now, in a book called Power of Grace, it is said that there are three Greek words for redeemed. For that little word, redeemed. Where we read in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption. That word redemption, or to be redeemed, there's three Greek words. The one Greek word is um, agorazua, that's the one. And what it basically means is to go to the slave market and then to purchase someone to own that person. All right, that's that first Greek word. You go to the slave market and you go and buy yourself a slave. Okay? The second word is exagorazua. And it basically means this word to buy back to freedom. In ancient Greek literature, it was used for the purchasing of slaves. Yeah? So you basically go and buy a slave, and if you want to give that slave freedom, then you can give that slave freedom. Otherwise, that slave will just come and work for you. Okay? Until such a time as you decide to give them their freedom. But the third word... Uh, that is used for redeemed, is the word apolytrosis. Fancy word, eh? but it's Greek, remember. Okay. And that word basically means to pay the full ransom, to liberate and to make completely free, never to be sold into slavery again. And the word that Paul uses here in verse 7 uses the Greek word apolytrosis. So it basically means that Jesus Christ bought us from the slave market. Well, let's call it the slave market of sin, eh? because we all became, um, how can I say, slaves to sin through Adam and Eve who sinned, specifically through Adam. But he liberated us. Christ Jesus came to liberate us completely. And with that purchase, basically it means that we can never ever be sold back into slavery to sin again. It's a done deal. God bought us, or Christ bought us, we can never ever be sold back into slavery again, to sin specifically. We are completely, 100% free. That's what we have in Christ. We are free. And what currency did he use? 
Did he take a denarius or a few or silver coins or things like that? Nope. It was the blood of Christ. He bought us with his perfect blood, his pure blood. Verse 7 says, and it's accordance to the riches of his grace. And grace, you know, unmerited favor. No? I receive what I do not deserve. I do not deserve eternal life, but I receive it as a gift. That's grace. And Paul tells us that it's in accordance to the riches of his grace. And how much grace does God have? Beloved, God has endless grace. And he shows it to sinners. He showed it to Adam and Eve. Remember in the Garden of Eden? He could have destroyed them there and then, but he didn't. In fact, what he did was he took an innocent animal. And that animal was slaughtered. And that animal's skin was taken to cover up the sin of Adam and Eve. God used a substitute, an animal, to cover the sin of his people. And that is a reflection of God's grace. Beloved, there is no end to the riches of God's grace. It's absolutely amazing. I do believe that there's going to be a day when God's grace unto salvation will stop where God will no longer show grace that people can be saved. There is going to be a time like that. But now, it's still open. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, you will receive eternal life as a, life as a gift from God. The fifth thing we as believers show I should know about what we have in Christ is a mystery has been made known to us. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, now this little word mystery basically refers to something that was hidden in the past. It was sealed up in the past, but it has now been revealed. That's that little word mystery. And the mystery is this. If you go on with the book of, of uh, Ephesians, the letter, if you get to chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reveals to us this mystery. He kind of starts off in chapter 1 to, to start revealing this mystery, but it's not revealed completely. He, he completely reveals it in chapter 3, and it's basically that the Gentiles can become fellow heirs of Christ and partakers of Christ through the gospel. That the Gentiles can now be included in God's family, where before they couldn't. That's the mystery that was revealed, uh, that was sealed and now has been revealed. Which means that you and I, we are Gentiles, ne? we're not Jews, except if there are Jews here, sorry, then it's a different story. Then, then uh, I'm not going to call you a Gentile, then I'll call you a Jew. But the rest of us who are not Jews, we are Gentiles. And this mystery that has been revealed is what Christ has accomplished on our behalf is that we as Gentiles can become part of God's plan of salvation. That God will save us through faith in Christ. And we can take that good news into the world and other Gentiles can come to faith in Christ and become part of the body of Christ. Can become part of the church. But it's in Christ that this mystery has been revealed. And beloved, it's amazing. And part of this mystery, of course, is, as Paul reveals it to us here, that everything will eventually be subject to Christ. Remember Matthew chapter 28? 
Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That authority that Jesus has over everything will one day culminate into the place where Jesus Christ will be supreme over all and everything will be subject to him. It will be placed under his feet. That's part of the mystery. Though people might look at Christ and say, oh, you see, he just died for our sin and yeah, he accomplished salvation for us. That's not it. That's not all of it. Everything will become subject to Christ. Jesus Christ will be over all. That's who he is. And that's who he is for us as his children. The sixth thing we as believers should know about what we have in Christ is that he has an inheritance for us. Look at verse 11 and 12. He has an inheritance for us. Verse 11 says, in him. You see that nice word there? Beautiful word, that word, in him, in Christ. None of these things that we are talking about is outside of Christ. It's all in Christ. If you reject Christ, you reject everything that he has for his people. You don't receive the blessing. You don't receive anything from him if you are not in Christ. Verse 11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Beloved, we receive an inheritance. Can you hear that? And that inheritance is an inheritance that we receive in Christ Jesus and we receive the inheritance that comes from Christ Jesus and it's the same inheritance that he has. We receive that inheritance Ultimately, obviously, the inheritance that we receive that is ultimate is we receive eternal life to be with him forever and ever. And he is the one who makes it possible. You see, part of this inheritance is that we are adopted into God's family. You and I, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who repented of our sin, become a son or daughter of the Almighty God. That, in the first place, is our inheritance in Christ. But from that also flows our inheritance that we receive in Christ. And that is forever and ever. What an absolute blessing. And by the way, our inheritance is secure in Christ. He holds on to it for us. Uh, because if we had to hold on to it, you know what would happen? We would squander it, no? That's, that's human nature. So Christ holds on to it. So that when we enter into heaven, we receive that inheritance. Because he kept it safe. Because it's only safe with him. So our inheritance is secure in Christ. The inheritance that, we, that he purchased for us on the cross. John MacArthur says the following concerning our inheritance. He says, Christ is the source of the believer's divine inheritance, which is so certain that it is spoken of as if it has already been received. Our inheritance is so certain, it is actually told to us in the past things. You already have it. Yet we don't have it. But we do have it. We do have it by faith. And that's why we need faith now. We only need faith because there are things that we know is going to be ours. It is not yet, even though we can experience something of it. But we need faith because it is still going to be ours. There's a lot of things in the New Testament that is, it is, but it is not yet. 
But by faith, we embrace it. By faith, I believe with my whole heart that I have eternal life. By faith, I believe that I'm going to be with Christ Jesus forever and ever. By faith, I know I'm going to live in a new Jerusalem, in a new heaven and a new earth. By faith, I know that I'll never ever cry a tear again. I will never experience any sorrow or pain or suffering. By faith, I embrace all of that, yet... I don't experience it yet. But by faith I embrace it because it is coming. And that's why I need faith. And the wonderful thing is that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who works that faith in us. Who enables us to believe when things around us doesn't look like anything to believe in. When things around us are tough, hard, we can look beyond what we experience and see around us because we walk by faith and not by sight. Beloved, and then the seventh thing that we as believers should know about what we have in Christ is that he sealed us. He sealed us. Now this word for sealed basically means to be marked with a seal or a stamp. You remember, I don't know if people still do that, because I don't know if the post office works anymore. But there was a time when you could take an envelope, and you take that red stuff, and then you seal the envelope. No? And you can easily see, if you take the envelope, you can see whether that seal has been broken or not. So what God has done in Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, is to seal each one of his children. We are sealed. It's like a stamp of approval that's been placed on us in Christ, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of Christ. And because we have faith in Christ, we believe in him, and we've repented of our sins, we have been uh, cleansed of our sin. Because of that, we have a stamp of approval on our lives. Because of Christ. God approves of the fact that we can enter into heaven one day. And he has given us that stamp of approval. He has given us that seal. Beloved, when we are regenerated by God's Spirit, God basically stamps us with the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit that indwells us is our guarantee of eternal life. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they don't have the guarantee. So they cannot enter into eternal life because it's the seal that we have that enables us to enter into eternal life with Christ forever and ever. And by the way, the word guarantee in the Greek basically means a down payment, yeah? It's a down payment on our lives into eternity. What Paul is saying here is that upon our salvation, God took the stamp of the Holy Spirit and he marked each one of us. We belong to him. Not just for now, but for eternity. We have been sealed we belong to him forever. And, and what God has done, beloved, is before the foundation of the earth, in the triune God, in the Godhead, these things was, was decided, was confirmed, and then executed exactly the way it was supposed to be done because God can be trusted. And that's why so many things in the New Testament tells us that God did it before the foundation of the earth. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. The question is, do we believe? Do we believe what he has done for us? 
Beloved, we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in every single believer. No? You know that. Scripture is clear. Because you cannot be born again without the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. Right? So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not born again. You're not born again because of a little prayer that you've prayed. You're born again because the Holy Spirit came and indwelled you and regenerated you. That's why you are born again. And then the Holy Spirit starts working his life and living his life in and through us. And it becomes visible to everybody around us that something has happened in us. And that is the indwelling Holy Spirit that is working in and through us. And what the Holy Spirit does is he constantly reminds us that this life isn't all there is. You see, God promised to redeem us fully. Yes, we are already redeemed, but we will be fully redeemed. And he will take us to heaven to live with him forever and ever. It's a promise from God. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit gives us the power, enables us to look, live victoriously in this life. And we can live victoriously because we have been sealed by the Spirit of promise. Beloved, those are seven things from the text. Obviously, we can get more out of the text. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. And I kind of just flew over it like a bird. Just flew over it. I didn't go into detail on any one of these things God willing, as we continue, we'll go into detail. But I would like to encourage you to take some time. Take some time during this week while the sermon is still fresh in your mind. Maybe this afternoon, if you can, go and sit and just start reflecting on it. Think deeply about what you've read. And then take Ephesians chapter 1. Go and read it again. And read it again. And read it again. Make it yours what Christ has done for you. Make it yours what we have in Christ. Each believer has this in Christ. Those who are saved, who have been regenerated by God's Spirit, have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. It's guaranteed. We have it. We have been chosen by God. And God predestined us to be adopted as his children. And we've been redeemed. The mystery has been made known to us. And God has given us an inheritance in Christ Jesus. That is beyond any inheritance that we can find and have on this earth. And God sealed us for himself. Forever and ever. Think about these things. Because beloved, if you embrace what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, if you make it your own, your prayer life will change. Your walk with the Lord will change. There's no way that your life will not be impacted by what Paul has said here. Or is saying in this passage of scripture. So take time. Think about it. And then the heartbreaking thing is. For believers. Every single thing that has been said by the apostle Paul. Is yours. It's mine. If you're a believer. If you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But if you sit here this morning. And you're not saved. None of this is yours. You cannot claim one of these things because you've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's once again God that cries out and calls out and reaches out to unbelievers to say to them, to those who are not saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for your sin. 
that he was buried, that he rose from the grave. And through faith in him, you may have eternal life. And it's only when unbelievers fall on their knees and repent of their sin and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that each and everything that is being said about what we have in Christ then also become yours. But it can never ever be yours without Christ and faith in him. So the cry of my heart is, if you are not saved, if you are unsaved, may today be the day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That he's the only one who can save you from your sin. May this day be the day when you bow your knees and repent of your sin before the Holy God. And only then can you embrace each one of these seven things. And may this day be that day. And believers, make it your own. Rejoice in it. Enjoy it. Look at it and praise God and worship God for what he has done for us in Christ. Because what he has done for us is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us in Christ. And thank you, Father, that we can look at a passage like this one and see that we have all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. That in Christ it is yes and amen. You're not a liar. You, you, you never lie. So what you said is true. And it will remain true. Thank you very much that we have been chosen and predestined to be adopted as children of thine, that we have been redeemed, that we know the mystery of the Gentiles being included in your plan of salvation. And here we are, Lord. You've saved us by your grace through faith in Christ. And we thank you. Thank you for our inheritance in Christ. Thank you that you've sealed us by the Holy Spirit that dwells in each believer. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you. In the name above all names, the only name through which we can be saved, it's the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. And I pray for those who have not been saved yet. May this day be the day. Please draw them to yourself. Give them the ability to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Regenerate them, Father. Allow them to repent of their sin and embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. This we pray in that name, the only name through which we can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ.